This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast, where host Amber Cullum and her guests delve into hard truths and the unwavering grace of God while journeying in the kingdom of God here on earth. Listen every week at graceenoughpodcast.com or on your favorite listening app. Welcome to the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to the Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director for Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center here at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our podcast today is continuing the series on world religions, and in particular, we're looking at Shintoism. So my guests are David and Kathy Sedlicek, who are – are you all missionaries in residence here this year, or are you just, just taking furlough? Last year. We just finished our missionary residence. You just finished residence. your yeah. – okay. And so – and they've spent 16 years in Japan, right? is that right? Mm-hmm. And you're now in Prague. How long have you been in Prague? We spent two years in Prague before the year that we were here as missionaries and residents, so now we're leaving to go back to Prague at the end of the month. Oh, wow. Okay. So back yeah. back into the mm-hmm. back into the fray. That's mm-hmm. great. Well, um, obviously the, the, you all are here because of your experience in Japan. Let's, let's talk about your call to the mission field and in particular, how is it you ended up in Japan? Now, Japan normally isn't necessarily a place that people think about going to do missionary yeah. work, or at least it isn't the most common one in Asia. So why Japan? Well, we came uh, to Dallas Seminary 1989, mm-hmm. two weeks after we got married, mm-hmm. and we knew the Lord wanted us to be missionaries. So we were intent on going somewhere in the world where mm-hmm. few people had a chance to hear about Jesus, mm-hmm. and we wanted to be part of what God was doing somewhere else and didn't plan on going to Japan. But our first uh, Japanese friends were fellow students here at the seminary. Hmm. We had two couples that we became good friends with. And that was the first link that really got us interested in Japan. We also had a missionary friend that was a missionary in Japan, and while we were students here, he was looking for someone to come help him. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were able to take a year away from seminary, did an internship in Japan, working for him at a church planning ministry. And uh, while we were there, we fell in love with the Japanese people. Really, God gave us a deep love for them, and we chose to go back. So you're with Team, is that right? Right. And did you have you been with Team the whole time, or yes? Okay. Mm-hmm. So you signed up with Team, and you said mm-hmm. Japan. We did. And we you did. ended up where in Japan? Where are you located? Or have you been located? Several cities. Okay. We were in. Kitakyushu, the mm-hmm. first year. You're not going to know these names, no. probably. Okay. We studied language in Nagano, mm-hmm. and then we worked in Okayama, which uh-huh. is West Japan, for okay. a long time, in the last two years in Tokyo. Okay. So you've covered actually quite a lot of it's territory. Quite a bit. Isn't yeah. Nagano up in the north? Yes. Of, okay. Uh-huh. So, so you've got a huge geographic experience as well. So it isn't that you weren't just in one part of Japan only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so our topic is Shintoism. Now, uh, it's confession time for me. If you had asked me a week ago what I know about Shintoism, I could say I can spell the word. <laughs> That's about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suspect that for many of our audience, when they hear Shintoism, they have – I have no idea what that is. So let's just start with the most basic uh, part of this. This is a very much a national religion. Is that fair to say? Uh, pretty yeah. much – Pretty much mm-hmm. J- Japan. Unique to Japan. Yeah. Okay. 
and it's tied to Japanese uh, national identity. Would that be fair to say as well? Very yes. much, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so you go with equipped with the gospel, right? Diving in, and you land in Japan. And how long was it before you became aware of what Shintoism was and is? And, and of course, the other major faith in Japan is is uh, I take it as Buddhism. Is mm-hmm. that right? Right. So, so there's that relationship too. So, talk a little bit about your own first encounters with Shintoism, at least to to the best that you can recollect it. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think – I don't know if you have a conscious first encounter with Shinto as Shinto because mm-hmm. it sort of – it just permeates all of Japanese society. And it's hard to see where Shinto ends and Buddhism begins and traditions and culture of Japan. It's it's all Mixed woven together. together. Yeah. 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 When I first – we went there for a year. I did an independent study and studied a bit about Japanese religion. Uh, and then I came back and I did my master's thesis, which was a, a cross-cultural apologetic toward evangelizing Japanese middle-class families. Hmm. It was a really long yeah. title there, but the first half was understanding Japanese worldview. Evangelism in Japan. <laughs> and the second half was how do you communicate the gospel. Yeah, but, yeah. but I did all this by reading books, and I read everything I could about Shinto and Buddhism on all these things. And then I went and moved there, uh-huh. and of course it's – it's a whole other experience, and you're actually living through it. That's right. It's much yeah. more dynamic, and you've got to yeah. you, you've got to piece together where people are in relationship to, to everything yeah. that goes on because it's there are variety there are variety of aspects to this. Yeah, and you'll meet you. I would meet people that would say, "I'm Buddhist," but they might also say, "I'm also Shintoist." The same person might say the say both, mm-hmm. or they might say, I'm Buddhist, but I follow all these customs, which are traditionally Shinto customs, and mm-hmm. so that's how it's all, it's hard to piece together what's what's coming from where and, and how it all fits together. And part of the issue here is that this this is a religion that is has such nationalistic strains that are built into the larger culture, I would mm-hmm. take, that there's, mm-hmm. it's there. It was certainly used on a nationalistic way during before and during World War II mm-hmm. by the government adopted state Shinto as as a a mechanism really uh, one of the structures they used to lead the nation and to guide the nation the way they wanted it to go so it has that history I think a lot of people today wouldn't like they sort of rejected that right. part of Shinto but it's more goes deeper into who we are as a people who who, what my culture is, where my my ancestors and my people came from, and how I linked to them. That's where Shinto, I think, comes to play for them on an individual level okay. more than a national level. Kathy, do you have any impressions about your first in- engagement and encounter with Shinto? Um, yeah, I think the year we were there as students, we didn't have children. Uh-huh. Just think of these different eras. Um, we would visit shrines with a missionary colleague and Actually, he would go up to the edge and wouldn't go in. Uh-huh. He's like, I cannot go in. I get headaches. I just do not want to enter that kind of spiritual realm. And I remember thinking, it's either has real spirits or it's nothing. Uh-huh. You know, one or the other. Right. And so we did mostly experience it was like as a tourist, where it was just interesting old buildings. But we always wondered, what does that really mean? What's going on? What's really going on? Yeah. Because people will do certain things and so it took years to have conversations and observations so that's my first impression that it was we're not really sure is there something going on there yeah. or not um, 
so many, another first impression was climbing up a mountain, any beautiful place, and you'll see an old tree with a, a rope around it that's very clearly a Shinto marking. Mm -hmm. And we can talk more about that later, but that yeah. was, it struck me as a disappointment that, oh, this is so sad, it's beautiful, and I'm worshiping the Creator, and uh -huh. they're worshiping the tree. Mm -hmm. And then one other thing, when we had a child in um, preschool, Everyone's telling us, oh, I don't really believe in Shinto. It's just, I'm not religious. Most people would say that I'm not religious. Mm -hmm. But his um, preschool teacher told me, yeah, I, I am a Shinto uh -huh. believer. Hmm. And I didn't really know what to think about that. Uh -huh. so. Hmm. so let's talk a little <laughs> bit about what, uh, about what this is as a, as a Japanese religion. It, let, me, let me put three things on the table to start off with. And you suggested this with the worship of the tree. It's it's animistic and it's in its orientation. It's very much uh, the spirits in with the creation, if I can mm -hmm. if I can say it that way. Mm -hmm. um, there's no formal scripture, mm -hmm. and there are no doctrines to think of. So it's right. so it's in that sense very different than Christianity. Mm -hmm. Right. A very foreign world, and if mm -hmm. you're coming at it from the West and yeah. thinking about what normal religion would be. But as you alluded to, it, it, it does have shrines and that kind of thing. Shinto, as a phrase, my understanding is, means the way of the gods. Right. And so it's not a mm -hmm. set, defined set of doctrines. And, uh, and some people are actually slow, at least the material that I read said, people who are, who are Shinto believers are actually slow to call it Shintoism. That they, they kind of keep a distance from the, from the religious, how can I say, the religious clothing that often goes around religion, mm -hmm. if that's a fair way to say it. And so uh, a key term is, is kami, which means literally purity, but it's the divine or impersonal forces that occupy the world and occupy the spaces that we have. It's often tied to nature, relates to spirits. Fertility deities and ancestors, and you mentioned the the shrines. We should talk a little bit about that. A shrine has a rope attached to a bell, if I'm not mistaken, that you ring in order to get the attention of the gods when you come in for your offerings that mm -hmm. you're that you're giving, and uh, along with whatever prayers you might be uttering. So the core the core activity at a shrine, not your home, not the state Shinto is basically the, uh, the issue of making offerings to the gods and, and prayers. Is that, is that a fair summary of what we're kind of dealing with here? There's not a lot in the way of offerings. Mm -hmm. It's saying a prayer, throwing a few coins in a box mm -hmm. would be the common expression, yeah, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I think that's generally a good representation. It's, it's difficult for us to put it in we we try to put it in our Western ways, uh -huh. and categories, and defining terms, and I think that's uh, the Japanese or Eastern way of thinking is is different. So they might not explain it in the same way. Right. But mm -hmm. that's an easy way for us to how, grasp. How it, yeah. might they? How might how, this is actually important to the series? Mm -hmm. How would an Easterner or a Japanese person explain what their experience of their of their faith would be? Do you have a way of articulating that? Um, I think one way is we, we, we actually, when you asked us to, to do this, and mm -hmm. Japan's kind of part of our past life, I mean, it's still very much in our life. We were in Japan just a few weeks ago and still have many loved ones there. But 
uh, we said, well, we better brush up a little bit on this. So Kathy found a book that was written by a Shinto priest. Mm -hmm. And as he described it, he, he put it in kind of layman's, Western layman's terms. Mm -hmm. So so he did use, use some of that language he used. Uh, he emphasized kami, which the direct translation for kami is God. Uh -huh. In fact, that's the word the Christian church uses the same word for God. Interesting. But it means a completely, completely different thing. It really means more the life force or energy or mm -hmm. a spirit. It's definitely a spirit, a sense of something behind what you see, something that else that's in, whether it's an animate object or an inanimate object. So it could be a trees or or people or animals. It could be a rock that mm -hmm. could have a life force in it, and that would be a common. My, my understanding is is that the opposite term, the antonym, it's, it's sumi. Is that the right? Am I thinking of the right term? Su which would be pollution or something like that? Pollution could be one way to use it, though that translation that we use in the Christian church is uh -huh. sin. It's the word for sin. Interesting. Huh. And, and the issue is the way the Japanese would look at Sin and mm -hmm. God are just very, very different. Than yeah, the we have to, we're have to get there. Yeah, but Kami is God and Sumi is sin. Okay, yeah. so um, so let's talk a little bit. I won't I won't spend a lot of time on this, but the the um, the the key work that has the kind of myth that underlies Shinto is called the Kojiki. Is that right? My pronounce all these pronunciations yeah. are suspect coming from me. So. Yeah, Kojiki is an ancient okay. text that tells a creation story from the the Japanese and, Shinto and viewpoint. the best that I can tell, it was written about AD seven twelve or thereabouts. Mm. So it's it's out of the medieval period, if I can say it that way. Um, there's an older tradition tied to it called the. I guess Nihonji, Nihonji or Nihonshiki. Okay, mm -hmm. um, but we don't actually have copies of that tradition of material. So, um, so there's this core myth, and I'm just going to try and go through this kind of a piece at a time so that people can get it, for, because even things that this uh, this surprised me when I read it. Even images like the rising sun on the on the Japanese flag mm -hmm. have roots in this story that I'm about to go mm -hmm. through. Mm -hmm. So. Um, the creation in the in the Kojiki starts with a primordial chaos that has the yin and the yang in intermixed to leading to an ordered chaos. And pairs of kami, these gods, emerge uh, as male and female from this um, ordered chaos. And the primary kami comes from a reed shoot and is named – and I'm, I'm just taking a chance to butcher Japanese <laughs> here uh, – Kuni Toko Tachi no Mikoto, which, mean, which means, at least the literal translation I've been given is, land eternal stand august, august thing. Um, and uh, he has a special role as, uh, as a deity. And then the seventh generation came uh, – Izanagi and Izanami, a man who invites and a woman who invites. So they're the original male and female gods that are portrayed as creating the Japanese islands. Mm -hmm. Okay, so far so good? Sounds good. Okay. And uh, uh, and these kami came to the islands, uh, came to the islands and created and married. In the initial marriage ceremony, now what fascinates me about this, this is like things you hear in Gnostic in Gnostic creation stories, um, which come from a completely different part of the world. Um, in the initial marriage ceremony, the woman spoke first and a monster was created, okay? And then in a repeat ceremony, the male spoke first and all went well, so reflecting a kind of patriarchy in the base of the myth. Um, 
And then Bliss and Creation followed, and there are elements of fertility cult that come out of this. Finally, there was a, a kami of, of fire that was created that consumed Izanami, the female member of this pair, leading Izanagi, the male member, to mourn her and follow her to the abode of the dead filled with sinister spirits. He located her, found her decayed remains, glimpsed on her despite her, plea, her pleas not to look at her because she had been disfigured. And when he saw her, he ran away uh, with her chasing him down with evil spirits. There were curses that were exchanged. And out of this comes the cycle of death and life. So far, so good? That sounds like a Buddhist interpretation Interesting. of the Shinto myth. It's huh. different when what I recently read uh -huh. by a Shinto priest who was claimed to be the 79th in generation in his particular sect. Okay. And he, I wrote a few things down that he said. He, he talks about three creator kami okay. that transformed and generated all phenomena in the universe. Okay. Humans are children of kami and have potential to become kami. Um, he talked about a great chain of being, that kami have various levels of and ro roles and functions. They're not like – some of that sounded like the Greek myths as uh -huh. well. He was saying that it's not so much like gods with personalities as – Think of the energy levels, mm -hmm. and so it's, it's even their own within their own system. They can describe it in different ways. Interesting. Well, of course, the, and of course, there is this interaction that's taking place between Shintoism and Buddhism, which is the mm -hmm. other dominant faith mm -hmm. on the island. So, um, and I think you were telling me before we recorded that you have people who will identify with both religions simultaneously. Right. And there so, was some merger in the Middle Ages of. That's not, right. Not officially. That's but right. Unofficially. That's yeah. right. Which uh, and that fusion was called. Now I, this I have no chance of pronouncing this correctly. The translation is two-sided Shinto, which is much easier. But it's something like Ryuobu or something like that. Is that that's what the I'm not synthesis with that in term. a term? Okay. Um, anyway, so um, just to continue the the uh, the myth here, there's another element that says uh, when uh, Izanagi returned, he tried to cleanse himself from the journey, and out of the cleansing and the washing came the sun, moon, and storm gods, which may be the three kami mm. that you're alluding to. Um, and the sun and the storm gods don't get along. The sun god, who's Amaterasu, uh, mm. hid but was coaxed out of her cave um, and then was closed off from returning to hide. And so the sun guide is said to rule the heaven while the storm god rules the earth. And the idea of the land of the rising sun is connected to that part of this story, which is mm. interesting. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, uh, the, uh, the sun god sends a descendant known as Niniji to control the earth, which he does for a time. And then later a grand, great grandson of the replacing god, lots of gods here. Jimu Tenno takes on human form and becomes emperor, and he becomes the ancestor to the line of emperors mm -hmm. that were said to be divine until Hirohito, mm -hmm. the, with the loss of um, World War II in Japan, renounced that connection publicly as a renunciation of what what was what became State Shinto, mm -hmm. which had been a very important force in Japanese history. I think from mm -hmm. the what from about, for about a century or a century and a half, I think up to World War II. If I, I think I've got that history more or less correct. The, I, the state, the state Shinto, Shinto is, is more like a thirty-year 
thing from the 1920s until okay yeah until when it really took off when it really became the came the dominating uh, yeah because yeah. I've got uh, I actually I have 1889 here state Shinto was created yeah and then it but then you're right it drove the movement towards World War II right. in a significant right. way and became prominent very popular yeah. yeah okay so we've got so so that's that's the background of this lots of gods uh, and animism no dot no formal doctrine, no text. And then we've got different kinds of Shinto. We've alluded to two of them already, Shrine Shinto and uh, and State Shinto. There's what's called Domestic Shinto, which is homes have a shrine to the kami called an Kamidana. Kamidana. Right. Okay. God shelf, literally. God shelf, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually a shelf mounted high on a wall in the home. Offerings are placed there as our amulets for good hope and good fortune, as well as uh, a wooden tablet sometimes. Daily obligations to the family kami known as, are seen as guardian spirits. And ancestor honoring takes place at this site. That's uh, another dimension often of Eastern religion is the honoring of mm-hmm. ancestors. Um, and, and then there's what's called sectarian Shinto, which are the splinter new religions that have really come more recently. So those are the right. different levels of experience that we have. So um, I'm taking the time to walk through the background of this because the first question we ask is, you know, what is Shinto? And it's kind of this conglomeration of stuff. Yeah, it is. And I think the, the last few things you got into when you got into the household uh-huh. and what, what people have in their home or the behaviors they have, I think that's the Shinto that most Japanese are very familiar with. And mm-hmm. I think the mythology from the Kojiki and all mm-hmm. of these ancient traditions. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's safe to say that most Americans know Greek mythology more thoroughly than most Japanese know all of those Shinto myths. It's huh. not uh, – it, it's there. It, it was used for different reasons. One was, I think, to help pro- to propel this myth about the emperor uh-huh. and, and solidify the power of the emperor. It also was a response to Buddhism because Buddhism was coming into Japan mm-hmm. about the same time the Kojiki was being written. So yeah. there's some kind of things going on there historically in Japan, but it – it it doesn't seem to me like we d- we didn't have many conversations with Japanese about these myths. It wasn't the thing they were even. It wasn't coming up in conversations. It, but but the fact that they have a shelf in their home that they would pray to, or they would on New Year's Day go do a certain thing, or when they get a car they have a shrine they take that to. Those things are things in their daily life that's very much part of their how they live and how they think. I think. And I, and I think the most fascinating thing of what we might associate is the life cycle, how how different events in life are seen in a given faith, um, is, is the way in which particularly the young are seen, entry into life. Um, birth is seen as a gift from the family kami in normal terms. And then there's this rite called the 753 festival, which sounds like it's a code or something. What exactly <laughs> is that? Uh, well, it's for three-year-old children mm-hmm. and five-year-old boys and seven-year-old girls. So three-year-old is for both boys and girls, mm-hmm. but it's it, it's it a gets festival reaffirmed to honor again. It's it's to honor those children at those ages when the year that they turn that age. There's one day, November fifteenth. Yeah, it's in November, yeah. Yeah, mid-November. And they they dress in traditional garb and take lots of pictures. It's mm-hmm. just a a fun thing, is what I 
understood from my family. So it's become a, a more cultural. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of like uh-huh. uh, what is it, uh, quinceria in, in Latino culture or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. um. This episode is brought to you by the Grace Enough podcast. I am its host, Amber Cullum. Each week, I sit down with a guest to discuss hard truths and the unwavering grace of God they've experienced while journeying in God's kingdom here on earth. You'll hear from guests like Jen Wilkin, Jamie Ivey, Andy Crouch, and Scott McKnight. Listen to these conversations and more by searching Grace Enough Podcast on your favorite listening app or by visiting graceenoughpodcast.com. Okay, and and then the 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 normal uh, the normal some of the key holidays are New Year's is a big holiday, the biggest. Okay, the biggest <laughs> holiday, and that's a day of purification to start off the new year, or is it just a celebration of the new year? How's that? We've got kind of the way the religion sees it, and then there's the way people celebrate it. So it's uh, a family holiday. It is a time when families get together, mm-hmm. and they get together on New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Three days. And for three days, the January 1st and 2nd and 3rd. It's, yes. One, some people, I think, mm-hmm. keep going and a little longer than others. But then they also <laughs> go true. to the shrine. Either the first or the second of the of January to visit the shrine to pray and to honor the gods of that shrine. Yeah, the thing that stands out to mm-hmm. me is I, you know, when CNN does their trip around the world on New Year's and mm-hmm. you go to Tokyo, the big rope and the big bell. Mm-hmm. You know, and they uh, carry they're given arrows at some shrines, didn't we see? And well, the cars line up around the blocks. And yeah, for us, jams for one it. memory I have is going home from church on a Sunday. In Tokyo, and suddenly there was a traffic pattern that was like it was like a football game had just let out. Uh-huh. But it wasn't a football game. It was everybody was going to this particular shrine where they were receiving arrows. So I think that was per, 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 peculiar to that particular shrine. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And it was a symbol of something. So people were walking away from the shrine with an arrow. To, they had done their ritual there and were on their way home. And then there's uh, the Spring Soybean Festival on February 3rd and 4th showing Mm -hmm. the the fertility and agricultural elements of the faith. There's what's called the Dolls Festival, a girl's day, Mm -hmm. which happens later on in the year. There's Buddha's birthday, which also gets celebrated uh, on April 8th, called the Flower Festival. Does that sound familiar to you all? I never connected with Buddha's birthday, but (laughs) (laughs) then there's the Boys' Day in Mm mid-May. It's called the Great Purification on June 30th. I guess you're halfway through the year. You got to, you know, get purified again. The Star Festival sometime in August, and then the Festival of the Dead in mid-August to honor ancestors. We haven't talked very much about that. That's probably worth stopping Mm -hmm. and talking about. How important is is honoring your ancestors uh, in Japanese culture? Yeah, well, it's very, very important. It's it's interesting that ancestor worship and anything to do with mem- remembering the dead, including funerals, is typically a, considered a Buddhist role in Japanese society. And the shrine, the, the Shinto, is about traditionally about the life, the uh-huh. births and the children and the marriages. Interesting. And then when it comes to death, Buddhism sort of takes over. But again, it's hard to see where one begins and one ends. But in general, the Festival of the Dead is is a Buddhist, uh, considered to the Japanese, a Buddhist festival. I don't know if Buddhism in other countries would track with that or not. But 
Interesting. Uh, but they, they're very careful about remembering deceased relatives, ancestors, and having specific dates after the person's death that they are remembered and performing the proper rituals for them. And that's the most clearly religious um, activity of all these things, it would seem. It's the priests are chanting, ringing bells, there's incense, what you might think of as religious mm-hmm. is going on at the funerals. Mm. And we, as we were studying about Shinto, it's, it's about purity and, and cleanliness and light and bright. And um, Apparently, according to this, this um, priest, he, the Shintoists were glad that the Buddhists took care of the funerals because there was so much negative energy and impurity that had to be take, dealt with at, with a dead body uh-huh. that they were glad for the Buddhist priests to take care of it. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so let's talk about a little bit about your experience with the Japanese, because I imagine you've had conversations, uh, numerous conversations about some of this, and you all have already alluded to some of the family stuff that goes on. Let let you said that the pr- most transparent feature of Shintoism that you came across were these family dimensions of of the worship and that kind of thing when you visited. Take it when you mm-hmm. visited homes and that kind of thing. So, what 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 did you observe there, and how did how did the Japanese talk about their their faith and their walk? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the families had either a Buddhist butsudan altar or mm-hmm. a Shinto kamidana mm-hmm. altar. Some had both. Can you tell the difference? Oh yes, one is like an entertainment center size huh. with pictures, and it's Florida. From the floor, so uh-huh. think of a large piece of furniture. That would be the Buddhist altar. Okay. And the Shinto one is literally a small shelf. Hmm. And I was told that some families choose one and some the other. And the important thing is to keep going with that and not break the chain with their ancestors. Oh, it's interesting. It's very, very important to keep up with that. So that's a huge barrier to becoming a Christian believer. Mm-hmm. So what do I do about that? What do I do about my ancestors that are represented by that altar? That's it's a actually huge barrier. That's actually where we're going next, which is you know what would cause someone to adhere to this faith? And I imagine there are two tight strands, if I can say it mm-hmm. that way, or two strong um, elements. One is the nationalistic element. This is who we are as a Japanese people. Mm-hmm. So there's that community mm-hmm. tie dimension, and then the second would be this this personal connection. To ancestors and in honoring a family, which in Asia in general is just uh, an important value, mm-hmm. um, so that so that uh, Christianity becomes a foreign religion at the nationalist level, and it becomes a family-breaking religion mm-hmm. at the ancestor level. Fair, mm-hmm. sure, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And that's where Buddhism and Shinto kind of merge together into mm. Japanese religion is mm-hmm. really kind of how most people think of it. Hmm. So, um, so anything else that causes adherence that you think uh, is it? I mean, obviously those generate community uh, community dimensions that can be attractive in terms of of sense of identity and that kind of thing. Well, I think one of the strong traits qualities of Shinto that we haven't really talked about is the connection with nature okay. and their mm-hmm. their love of nature and beauty in nature. Mm-hmm. So they're very passionate about about 
having that connection with the beautiful mountains and waterfalls. Because yeah, Japanese is a very luscious in it it's, it, mm-hmm. yeah. country. Yes. And artistically, their aesthetic sense is amazing. You know, mm-hmm. Just beautiful, the flower arranging and the way they do the tea ceremony and their architecture. It's all very beautiful. And it, it is connected to uh, Shinto very mm-hmm. much because mm-hmm. Shinto is teaching that we should be grateful for this world around us, the nature that we have. And, but, it, but it's misdirected. It's thinking nature for you know thinking mother earth the western way today would be no gaia the mother mother earth that we need to show our care for and show our appreciation to but that's very much part of uh i think common japanese way of looking at now and when we think about the multiplicity of gods that are uh, depicted here you know again i'm going to make a comparison to the west and you can reflect on how eastern this is as well you know, in the West, when you, at least in the ancient uh, polytheistic religions, you kind of had to be sure you had placated all the right gods, you touched all the right bases, at least in the Greco Roman religion, mm-hmm. that's oftentimes mm-hmm. what's going on. Um, uh, is, is Eastern faith like that, or is it? Or is it more? No, I just need to. Be, it's it's the family kami that I need to to be partic- pay particular attention to. From what I was reading and more in the medieval times, or uh-huh. I don't know how far back. Yeah, and it was partly due to the Buddhist influence. There were territorial types of spirits that you needed to placate, or or they were there to help you mm-hmm. for your community, your village, or your kitchen for safety. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I don't think it's. People, for the most part, are very secular, very Western. That was my next like, question. Uh, in in yeah. terms of, I don't believe in those things. So it's not a clear polytheism that carries through all generations. It's just it's a folk not religion. There. It's a folk religion, just as much as you can have folk religions around the world. And, right, and they tend to be more connected with not having these big, not having doctrines that tie everything together, but a sense that there's spirits in in the earth or spirits around us, and you don't really know what's going on in those spirits. So so you do have to be be somewhat careful to navigate the what might be out there and what what the different gods might be and where a given person might be in relationship to all right right yeah but but the Japanese are very modern Uh secularized right civilized westernized in a lot of ways respects nation now so it's they haven't gotten rid of the folk religion completely but they're also not completely comfortable with it. I don't so think, it, it, if I can risk making an analogy, get your reaction. You know, in the West, what we've dealt with for a long time is this kind of Judeo-Christian net that wrapped itself around Europe and North America, in mm-hmm. particular, uh, South America as well to a certain degree. And one of the changes that secular, the presence of secularism, has done is that net is kind of fraying; it's going away, um, and. My my sense from what I'm hearing you talk about in relationship to the way the medieval roots of these these faiths and what they were doing and how people view them is is that there's a kind of Shinto net around Japan or Shinto Buddhist net around Japan might be a better way to describe it mm-hmm. and it's still there but it doesn't come with all the all the webbing if, if you will um, that it used to come with. I think well, the webbing is in the relationships with people with family with. With our our race, mm-hmm. you know, that that's very very strong. Their identity is very strong. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. almost like it's it's this um, Yamakage priest that we we're reading. 
said they've lost the faith, they still do the practice. Mm -hmm. And he says even the Shinto priests will go to study all this and don't have faith. And so they're, they, they've lost their spiritual life, hmm. which sounded a lot like problems we struggle with even in our Christian seminaries. You can study all the right stuff and uh -huh. not have the true faith. So he didn't use the word nominalism, but it sounded like that to me. He mm -hmm. was saying, we need to come back to the ancient ways. We're just, we've rejected all of the true faith. Hmm. We're just going through the motions. Interesting. And that does fit with what we saw. People didn't say, oh, I believe Shinto, uh -huh. but they were doing all the the customs. So when the faith. holidays came up or when their child turned Absolutely. three or five or seven, Absolutely. all that yeah. stuff is happening. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit. We got ten minutes left. Let let's talk a little bit about uh, about how Christianity steps into this. Now the fact is is that Christianity's had a very difficult history penetrating Japan. Uh, almost it's almost been one of the more resistant countries in 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 Asia. I mean, you go to mm -hmm. China or you go to Korea, you know, and, or or India, and and you've got much more except wide spread acceptance. Is it this nationalism in this community that is the big hurdle? What what do you how do you how do you explain the the difficulty mm -hmm. of what what Christianity has experienced in Japan? Well, on on the personal level that we've experienced, as we've witnessed to many people and and started churches in Japan and tried to get churches to form people to to identify with Christ and identify with one another. I mean, the first level of barriers that we would encounter were. Either we say the word God, we, we use the word kami in Japanese because that's what mm -hmm. a missionary a long time ago decided to use, so we went with that word. And But they don't understand. So there's all these meaning issues like what do you mean by God? What do you mean by sin? What do you mean by creator? I've never thought of our personal God. What does that mean? Uh, what is redemption? All of these things, defining these things, helping people to see that. So, so there are core categories that didn't even right. exist. So you spend a lot of time helping people to see what mm -hmm. the teachings of the gospel is, what what Jesus came, who he is, and why he came, and, and all of that. But many times when people would come to the point where I, I understand that, I believe that, I understand that, or I want to follow this Jesus, but I can't because I'm Japanese. And so many times it would come back to that. I can't mm -hmm. do this because I'm Japanese. And for mm -hmm. me, it's an either-or choice mm -hmm. to be a Christian or to be Japanese. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes it's because my family is not Christian, mm -hmm. so I can't. So it becomes suddenly that becomes the barrier. Not all these issues of what is truth and and what is God and all of that. Though you have to do all of that, you still have to encounter the fact that deep down they see a dichotomy that they don't want to give up that identity. So a passage like you know, unless you deny your mother and father, and mm -hmm. or th those take on a very real life in the context of the choices Absolutely. that people face in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and 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 so uh, so how do you how how do you if you if you you know the, this is this is going to be a religion that's a little bit odd in in the series and that uh, unless you're meeting a Japanese couple that has come to the United States and and reflects their uh, reflects a Shinto background. Um, this is not a religion that proselytizes internationally or anything like that. So your your encounters to it are going to be limited. But should you meet someone who comes out of a Shinto background, what what are you? I mean, you wrote a thesis on this. How, how do you, how do you how do you how do you think about uh, sharing the gospel with them? I mean, obviously, first you've got to just get to the 
terminolo- get through the terminological terrain. Absolutely, yeah. But but the other big missing element is is love, generous love and grace, mm-hmm. showing love to people. I, that that speaks volumes, and that breaks down barriers, and and it demonstrates to people that that there's a lot more to this than just a different set of ideas or a different set of customs. There's something in this. Uh, we just watched uh, a famous anime by uh, Miyazaki Harao is a is the creator of all these. Ghibli movies, which are kind of like Disney, Japan's hmm. Disney, and and uh, within that, there's a lot of Shinto stuff going on. All kinds of great movie called Spirited Away. If you want hmm. to kind of get a feel for what kami are and all that, it's wild. But there's also this core of seeking for love mm-hmm. and seeking to figure out what does love mean, and and when I'm willing to sacrifice myself for somebody else. Uh, so. They people respond to that of any religion, any wherever their background. When they're loved sacrificially by others, they 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 want to listen. They open up. They yeah. want to know what's going on. You're different. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, so 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 you're. Do you have any particular experiences of how of of kind of for lack of better description breakthroughs that took place that as you share with your share about your time in Japan and and what kind of what it took to get there yeah well there's this a story of some friends of ours who had lived outside this had lived in the states for a couple of years and they came back and they were eager to meet some Americans and continue mm. with English and so that we became good friends this was 20 years ago mm-hmm. and they had two kids and we were able to share the gospel with them and one received it and one rejected, and we were we had a parting of ways for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, one of the children really struggled to fit back into the culture because she was different. She was fluent in English. Hmm. That was bad for her peer group. Hmm. So she was apparently bullied enough that she stopped going to school. And parents just panic when this happens. It's a social yeah. phenomenon in Japan, hikikomori. Hmm. But we were her friends. We were. I brought her into my house and just we'd bake brownies and we'd just have fun together and I just a, apparently the love we showed her made a huge difference in her father's life. He mm. commented later that the love you showed us was was so meaningful. Years later, just this summer, he w- accepted Christ and was baptized. This is the father now. The father and both of them were baptized together mm-hmm. 20 years later. Mm. So it just shows that there's father and daughter Father and husband and wife. Husband and wife. Oh, so all three. The children, as far as we know, didn't accept Christ, even though they came to Sunday school and Uh heard the gospel in many ways and received love. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting. It made an impact on the father. Hmm. Um, So we we knew in planning a church that a way to reach the dads who are hard to find, hard to spend time with, was often through their children, Mm -hmm. just just caring for them. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. We just... We really respect and love the Japanese people and wanted to just be with them and be their friends. And um. You know, there's a reality in, Jap- in at least some Japanese marriages. I remember the trip that we took. Uh, this is years ago now, uh, and uh, we were in Osaka. And, uh, and we were hosted by a woman for dinner with the pastor. And they were talking about their marriage. And many Japanese marry but spend – an amazing amount of time apart. Mm-hmm. True. Um, and, and it struck me this was 
it's, it's a strange marriage. I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, but where where the man works in a completely different mm-hmm. city and context than where the family is. Right. They have a and word you, for that because it's so common. So there's and, a, <laughs> and you find you did find this to be common as well oh, in yeah. Japan. Yes. Yeah. So I imagine that family dynamics of of getting to know a Japanese family is actually a little bit unusual in that regard because of the the way those dynamics are are given. Yeah, absolutely. But it doesn't mean family is any less important. So, Mm -hmm. for example, this woman, though she came to know Jesus Christ as a Savior 20 years ago, she didn't want to publicly come forward in baptism and say, I'm a Christian Mm -hmm. without her husband. She wanted – it was very important to her to do that with him, to mm-hmm. have that family identity move along together. Hmm. And 20 years later, he was ready and they both came, to, you know, were baptized. So oh. it's like thrilling. So, so many of our stories, it yeah. is, and so yeah. many of our stories of people that we witnessed to, that we shared Christ with, that we saw come to Christ, were people who had been, had heard the gospel somewhere many, many years before from someone else. Hmm. And then this is a story where we sowed seeds 20 years ago and someone else was there to, to see them. You know, we didn't get to be there at their baptism, but we heard about it, and it's exciting. So, so um, uh, probably the last question I'll have time to ask: What advice would you give to someone as they meet someone of a Japanese background who may have this this Shinto um, backdrop as a part of what they are? I mean, I've already heard some of it. Just mm-hmm. just love them, but uh, any other pieces of advice that that you do you ask a lot about their faith do they talk about their faith openly so that you can kind of get a, a glimpse into what I, drives them I definitely ask questions learn all you can about them as individuals because mm-hmm. everything we've said here today is somewhat generalized you know mm-hmm. and right, everyone's right, different sure. and with their background what they believe and what they've heard in their life and where they're at ask questions get to understand them absolutely yeah and i would ask are you interested in spiritual things Mm -hmm. do you want to talk about this because some people are Mm -hmm. and some people aren't and Mm -hmm. the ones that are seeking we know that christ has the long lasting forever eternal answer Mm -hmm. and there are many many in the shinto tradition that are looking for more like a new age type of approach just a spiritual experience and with energy and my inner being and Mm -hmm solving my own problems of impurity. So purity is a theme we haven't talked about, but mm-hmm. I don't know if the average person is interested in purity, but some are. They're working really hard to purify themselves. Mm-hmm. So, so there, that's what they think. Are there washings associated oh, with yes. it? Okay. Yes, ritual washings, hands and body, and mm-hmm. all kinds of rituals have to do with cleanliness. Mm-hmm. So that theme is important, but like you said, if they're interested in it. So you need to find out what they're interested in. Okay. Yeah. Well, we, we appreciate you coming in and taking the time to talk to us about Shintoism. Like I said, it, if we had had this conversation a week ago, I'd have introduced it and just <laughs> let you go. But, uh, uh, but uh, you know, it is interesting to see a faith that is so tied to a location and, and so dominated that so dominates the identity, and that that identity has actually impacted the ability of Christianity to impact the island. So we thank you for coming in and helping us with Shintoism. Thank you. And we thank you for being a part of the table and hope you'll join us again soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. Thank you.